you have a goal of 100k a month million a month whatever and i remember looking at my phone and i refreshed the banking app it's like 1.1 liquid in the bank for the business six to eight months later there was twelve thousand dollars in the bank account having it all then losing it all and then realizing that money truly did not matter who are you without a business who are you without status who are you without success i just remember crying in the shower bro and just being like dog what am i going to do Today's guest is Justin Phillips. And let me say this before I go deeper into it. All of the male family members that he had around him went to prison, went to jail. He even went to jail, managed to take himself out of that environment and build a $10 million clothing business, starting with just $100. And so really what you're going to get from this episode is not only the story about how your environment, your circumstances never define who you are, you're also going to get the practical, the tactical information about how you can start a clothing business or a clothing line with just $100. This is going to be a really good episode for you. Let's get straight into it. And before we do, one huge favor, and it's this. Please subscribe to the channel. It helps us immeasurably. I love growing this audience, but I'm also going to make a deal with you, which is this year we're really scaling the production. We're scaling the guests. We're scaling every component of this podcast so that we give you a better experience. In order to uphold your part of the deal, I just need you to subscribe. So please subscribe to the channel and sit back and enjoy. Let's get into it. My brothers have been to jail. My first cousin has been to jail. My dad did 15 years in jail. Even I've been to jail, but we are all legal entrepreneurs now. I chose e-commerce as my path to seven figures. And so here's where I want to begin when I talk about context. There's a, there's a place that you come from, right? There's formative years that have made you who you are. Tell me about those. Yeah. So about that post specifically, um, I'm from Houston, Texas, born and raised single parent household, obviously. Um, and my dad, he actually robbed banks crazy so he actually got away with 10 and then he got caught on the 11th and then he did 15 years in jail so at the age of two he went to prison and then he got out when I was 17 so all of my formative years was spent with my mother in Houston Texas just me and her so she had to raise me and be the man and the woman in the situation there's some things that a woman just can't teach a man so during the formative years, didn't have really any male role models besides like mom's friends and whatnot, but they weren't present in my life. Um, but yeah, I mean, born and raised in Houston, Texas, grew up with a single mom, most amazing woman I've ever met. Yeah. 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 You know, I think um, we hear that story kind of often, right? Like the, the mother that has to be the father and the mother. Right. And it's an impossible job. Yeah. It's an impossible task. And I think whenever the father's not there, and I know that just from even growing up with my dad, there's like a huge, there's a void. Yeah. So I'm curious, that period of your life from two to 17, there must be something that's filling that void. Like where was even that male kind of leadership coming right. from in your life? I think it was coming from friends. So I would meet different friends and they would teach me like how to talk to girls or how to interact with women and stuff like that. So, but then you don't, you're getting it from a perspective of someone that's like your age and not from a perspective of someone that's a little bit older with a little bit more wisdom. So it's not always the best advice in general, but that's pretty much where it was always coming from. It was either, um, mom's friends that were just like good guys that wanted to help out or friends that were my age that had a little bit more experience than me. Mm. 
So, but yeah, but my mom, like you said, like she did an impossible job, bro. Like she had me at 17. So when she had me, my grandmother actually kicked her out the house because, you know, she had me and she like she didn't approve of it or whatever. And my mom was sleeping couch to couch, you know, bouncing around friends couches with me. And she was still in school. So she was like me and her sleeping on friends couches and then she would take me to school by the grace of god her school had a daycare as well so she can put me in daycare and then actually go to school and then she ended up um getting into uh like nightlife so she was like doing bottle service things of that nature and making some good money but she was also doing uh real estate as well so she got a job and she was doing like it stuff so during the job she would like do real estate on the side but then her job found out she was using her computers to do real estate and then they fired her and then she had to go into real estate full-time but she also picked up that job doing bottle service. And then at one point she was like, man, I just want to go in full time in real estate. And then that whole time she was raising me. So it was, it's just impossible, bro. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. What's the impact of you on just witnessing that? Because I think we, especially as children, we learn so much from just observing our parents. So when you're watching your mom kind of grind and hustle like that, like I'm sure that has an impact even to this day. Yeah. Like when you reflect on it, what would you say that is? Yeah, I mean, just seeing someone do that, it's just like, bro, you just kind of grow a work ethic because it's like you don't really take lightly to excuses or you don't give yourself excuses because like, bro, my mom had me at 17, worked three jobs and was by herself and she still made it happen. So you kind of get that work ethic instilled in you. And I like what you said, too, about like how you model behavior after your parents or whatnot because i was thinking about it too and i was talking to my boy about it and i was like why do children want to walk and they get up and they fall and then they don't stop trying to walk because it's so funny when like you're older you fail and then you stop because of the failure but when you're younger you wouldn't say like i tried walking and i fell and walking is just not my thing but the reason you continue trying to do it is because you're modeling the behavior of the other humans that are around you so you want to be able to do the same things that they're doing i thought was really interesting yeah Yeah. that is really interesting the analogy is interesting as well um i'm curious and you even mentioned it in the beginning like your dad was robbing banks. Like that was kind of the reason that he ended up in prison. Right. I'm curious for you as a child, how aware are you even of the context of your dad being in prison? Not at all. You don't think about that, right? Not at all. And so what was, what was kind of your emotion growing up? Were you like angry about it or was it just pure confusion like bewilderment quick break so a few months ago we recorded an episode with an entrepreneur his name was will rivera out of atlanta he has made millions and millions of dollars from drop shipping on amazon and that episode was so well received we get so many comments even to this day of people loving that episode and the game that will dropped in it that we actually brought will back and Ecom Degree University, which is his course, as a sponsor to this episode. And they really give you everything from the community that you need to support you, to the information, to a Discord chat where you can ask questions in live time. They teach you everything from setting up your business license, to finding a supplier, to finding the right products and getting it set up on Amazon correctly. And here's actually the best part. They've agreed to host a free live webinar 
And so when you go to the link in the description and sign up, you will get access to a free live webinar where they are giving away all of the game that you need to get started selling name brand products on Amazon. Go to the link in the description, check it out, thank me later. Now back to the show. No, it was more so like I didn't understand when my dad came back from prison why he didn't want to be around. So when I was younger, I didn't have the context of obviously my mom and my dad are together when they're young. You go to jail for 15 years because of a decision you made. Obviously, my mom's not going to wait around for you for 15 years. So he goes out, has his own relationships, you know, gets married, et cetera, when he gets out of prison. And in my head, I'm asking myself, like, what am I or what am I not? Or why do you not want to be around? And what did I do to make you feel like that? But my mom did a really good job of always as I was growing up, just being like, bro, you're a star. Like, you're going to be amazing. Like, he's going to beg to be in your life at, you know, sometime because it's how great you are. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was more so the idea of, you know, approval. Like, why don't you want to be around me? And what do I need to be for you to want to be around? Mm-hmm. So that was really my my emotions around it. Yeah. You know, that's actually, um, it's really interesting. And the, there's actually been psychologists that have tested this with children where, uh, especially things that are done by their parents, the way that the child interprets it is I'm 100% responsible for this. Yeah. So if my parents are arguing, it's because of something I did. And so a lot of these kind of characteristics that people build in their personalities, yeah. it's often actually to kind of guise or kind of just respond to this situation that they were thrust in. thousand percent. And finish if you... No, go ahead. No, because I was going to say, I've been look, looking into this so much lately because... I started to realize like in different relationships, you will try to seek out other things in their partner that you were missing as a, as a child. So one day I did this exercise where it talks about all of the basic human needs that you have, whether it's like contribution, connection, et cetera, there's six of them. And then it was like, out of all of those six things, there's like sub things that are inside of them, whether it be like approval or personal development or growth or whatever your actual need is. And it was funny because So, for instance, like you said, arguing, if a child saw their parents arguing growing up, they think that that's love because their parents are together. Now, you may have a need for connection and then you grow up and you get in a relationship with someone and then you start to argue with them, not because you're mad, but because you want to connect. And that's what you deem connection as. So now when I sat back and thought about that, I was like. There was always something I was writing it down and everything that I wrote down, it was centered around personal development growth. And then I kept writing the word approval down. And I was like, why do I have a need for status or a a feeling of a need for approval? And then I like it snapped and I was like, bro, okay, because I've been trying to like exceed and achieve because I subconsciously wanted the approval of my parents or my specifically my dad. And I was like, that was so interesting. It was like a great unlock and breakthrough for me. So, yeah, it was just interesting. I'm curious, are there any stories from when from when you were younger where it's like upon reflection, so in hindsight, you thinking about it now, it was just such a clear outcry for approval. Mm-hmm. So in 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 the moment when you were experiencing it, yeah. it didn't seem like you wanted approval, but you reflecting on it now, you're like, that's why I was acting like that. For sure. I remember one time um my so my dad's side of the family they own a car wash and entrepreneurs and stuff so i'm at the car wash with one of my um cousins that like helped raise me a lot and 
<laughs> it's a crazy story. So um, my cousin, he smokes a lot. So I'm just younger. So I used to like roll up blunts for him and stuff, just trying to be cool with my cousins and them. Yeah. So my dad comes in and I knew that if my dad walked in and saw me like rolling a blunt up, then he would be like, what's like, what are you doing? And then in my head, I was just like trying to get his attention so at, in the in this like moment, I was just like, oh, let me just do this because this is what I do. But in reality, when I look back at it in the past or in, in the future, I was like, I did that so that he would say something. Because then what I said to him when he said something was like, bro, don't tell me like what to do. You were never around. And then I look back at it and I was like, yeah, I was clearly trying to get that connection. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious. How do you begin to like resolve that? You got to let time go by because you'll just learn to forgive. Because then I realized I was like, you were an adult. You had issues. You're learning yourself just like I'm learning myself now. And you didn't know what to do. So it's like, hey, we can either choose to let that shape our relationship or we can choose to let it shape our relationship in a positive way. So I just chalked it up to the game of you had a lot going on. You didn't know how to manage yourself because I'm just now learning to manage my emotions and whatnot. And that just is what it is. So now we can choose the type of relationship that we want to have moving forward. Yeah. You know, it's interesting, actually. And as I uh, grow up, this, when, you're, when you're younger, there's certain things that you almost like. And I had a great childhood, like great parents. But there's certain things that you almost like blame your parents for. Mm -hmm. And then in blaming them, you also kind of blame yourself. Like right. you feel responsible. And like a large part of the process as weird as it sounds, is actually forgiving yourself. Right. And like, once you start to forgive yourself, it's like you don't take it so personally uh -huh. anymore. And I'm curious, and the reason why I even mention that is that you spoke about environment earlier on, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. The importance of environment. And I even think back to what I said in that, what you said in that post. My brothers have been to jail. My first cousin has been to jail. My dad did 15 years in jail. Even I've been to jail. Okay. And the reason I bring that up is that for so many people, it's almost like their life ends there. Like yeah. everything is summed up in that. Because everyone around me went to jail and this is what I saw and this is what I knew, I just continued this cycle. And it's curious, it's interesting for me when I hear your story, it was like, it took a detour. Right. You chose another option, which is extremely difficult, yeah. extremely difficult to do. And so I'm curious, maybe you can just even talk about like almost starting to go in that direction and then making the pivot. Yeah, I remember it like it was yesterday, bro. It was crazy. So um, everybody on my, my dad's side of the family, all the men, you know, particular, like they do illegal activities, you know. So being around that, I'm just like, all right, well, they're getting a lot of money. And they're doing it really fast. So I'm like, man, that's what I want to do. So I started to dabble in that on the side while I had a nine to five job. So then I get into a circumstance where I'm just like, it was, it's crazy. So to paint the picture without incriminating myself, <laughs> um, I'm in a parking lot and I'm having a conversation with someone and then there's a bunch of guys around me and I see them like pulling guns out and I'm like okay that's what this is so then I'm like all right in that moment I'm like I have a choice of continuing doing what I'm doing now and it's either going to lead to death or jail that's inevitable or I have a choice to go down an unknown route 
but hopefully it'll be more positive. So the way I logically thought about it is that it's actually more risky to stay doing what I'm doing now than it is to go and do something else. So I remember when I went back to the to my house one day, I lived in a one bedroom apartment with five people. So had my own place um, after graduating college was super depressed, bro, because I'm super popular in school. I'm, I skipped a grade. I'm throwing parties, doing ten, fifteen thousand dollars a month. And then I squandered it because I'm young, making money. And then I graduate and I'm popular, but I have no job, no internship, no place to stay, no car, no nothing. So I ended up having to, you know, move back to with my mom and. I get a job and then I go back to my home because I wanted to have my own space because I didn't want my mom telling me what to do. So one day I get a knock on my door. It's my cousins. And they're like, yo, stuff's messed up at our house. Like, can we come and stay with you? And it was uh, three of them. So I'm like, cool. And then in that time period, that year or so, there was like six or seven people living in my house. So I'm sleeping on the floor. Um, we rotate in the bed. Two people sleep in the bed, three on the floor, two people, like, you know. And one day I walk in the house after coming home from work. and I'm just dog tired. I'm looking down and I see like three people just sleep on the floor. And then I remember telling myself, like, bro, this is not what your life is supposed to be like. So in that moment, I was like, bro, I want to be I want to do something better. I just don't know what to do. And I remember going on um, Google and I typed in, like, what do CEOs do? And then one of the things in, like, those articles that are, like, clearly for SEO is, like, um, they read books, they do this or whatever. So I was like, okay, cool, I'm going to read a book because the average CEO reads a book a week and the average American reads one. So I picked out this book I saw on Instagram and I just bought it. And it was called uh, No Excuses by Brian Tracy. And it was talking about the importance of environment. And I remember just saying to my friends and my cousins and I was like hey guys it's May 1st June 1st I'm about to be on the stuff that's inside of this book so if you aren't on that trajectory I will leave or you guys will have to leave but I have to curate my environment and environment is twofold you have your digital environment you have your physical environment digitally people stay stuck because they consume content and there's a reason why they call it consuming content you are what you eat so you're consuming this content and you're becoming you know what you're seeing and then in the physical environment you're becoming like the people that you're around so I knew that I was like I have to change both my physical and digital environment and then I told them that I'll be leaving and then one day they pulled me to the side a couple of days later and it was like you probably should like leave or kick us out because we're holding you back and we see where you're going and then that's when I moved to Atlanta and packed everything up Nissan Altima 2013 yeah took the drive 12 hours and while I'm on the drive I was a uh, Bible study was on and the uh, the pastor was like if you're thinking about moving just just go to the middle like if you're thinking about traveling just go to the middle God can't pull you to the other side if you don't meet him in the middle and then I was like bro I'm like on the right path you know and then from that day that's um when we started the business and stuff like that when I moved to Atlanta nice no that's a special story yeah. you know Listening, listening to that, I think kind of like there's this key moment, this key turning point, which is you come home from work and you're incredibly tired. I think everyone's had that feeling of just coming <laughs> home. You're like, you just want to sit on your couch and do nothing, right? nothing. And you, you see three people sleeping on the floor. And it felt like at that moment, that vision, seeing that had such a large impact on what you did after. But I'm curious, why was seeing those three people sleeping on your floor, why was that almost like the turning point? I think it was because I just didn't want that to be my life. 
like I think I just asked myself in that moment and it was weird like my heart got real hot and I was just looking at this and I was like is this what I want to walk into every single day I come back into my home and the answer was no so it was like either I'm gonna continue to live this type of life and then say oh my circumstance and this and that or I was gonna at least try so that was my thing I was like bro I'm gonna at least try and I think that's why it was just so bad for me. It was like, bro, I just don't want this to be my situation. Honestly. Yeah. You know, what? I, I have this thing that I tell myself, which is like, before anything great can be achieved, you have to believe it first. Yeah. And so I think part of what's so powerful about your story is it seems that there was nothing in your environment to show you like you could be incredibly successful make millions and millions of dollars as an entrepreneur. And so I'm just curious, even in that moment, because it's one thing to say, I want something different, but then to have the belief to follow through on wanting that different thing is something, something else. What was giving you belief at that time? You know what? I think it was from social media randomly, now that I'm thinking about it, because I was, so there was some benefits to this too. I'm living in a house with multiple people, rent 700 bucks. We're, we're splitting the rents. So I'm paying like 200 bucks a month in yeah. rent. Food, a couple hundred bucks. So my job was paying me $4,000 a month. So I'm stacking up probably like 3,500 bucks a month. And I'm going to work and I'm doing like paid advertisement for this company. It's like a startup, uh, Amazon FBA company. And because when I was throwing parties in school, I told, I went on the interview and I was like, hey guys, like I can get thousands of people to come to a party. Like I promise you, I can get thousands of people to come see your thing on Amazon. And they like hired me or whatever. I was the first hire at the company. And doing, you know, doing that type of work, you start to see advertisements, things of that nature. So I'm seeing like Ty Lopez and Adrian Morrison and all of those guys. And because I was stacking up this type of cash, I'd started just buying courses. So I bought Ty Lopez's social media marketing course, Adrian Morrison's e-com mastery course, et cetera. And inside of those is obviously like mindset sections and things of that nature. So I think because of reading books and becoming a reader and that being my habit and then also continuously investing in myself and my mindset, that's what gave me the belief to actually be like, okay, I can do this. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's actually special. I think it's actually something that's very cool about the internet is you can kind of take yourself out of your physical environment and cultivate the right digital environment that gives you the correct encouragement. And so you can be following people that are making millions or billions of dollars. And then by just consuming everything that they're saying, it's like that's now getting ingrained into your mind. Yeah. It's almost like you're brainwashing yourself for success. Facts. I mean, that's what I used to do. Because when I sat my boys down, I was like, this is my new routine. I'm going to wake up and I'm going to go for a walk and I'm going to listen to I am like, you know, uh, meditations. And then I'm going to read for an hour. And I'm good. like, I'm just stacking all of this stuff. Now I have a different view on morning routines and whatnot now, but that's what I did. I just woke up, walked out of my situation and immediately immersed myself in a different one. And then being immersed in it so much, I think that's what was able to pull me out of it just by like staying in that, staying in that mode, you know? Yeah. You know what, when you make this uh, decision and, and I know this personally, when you make this decision that you're going to do something different. You're going to be, I don't know, the first person in your friends group or the first person in your town that does this thing. There's this incredibly difficult moment on that path. And I'll tell you what it is. And I'm sure that you've had it. 
you're not yet the new person, right? So you're not yet the successful entrepreneur that has successful entrepreneur friends. But then you're also now different than everyone that you know. And so it's actually this kind of lonely in-between stage Mm -hmm. where you don't really relate with either group. And so I'm curious, speak to that in your story. You've kind of started out on this path of entrepreneurship. You've moved to Atlanta. What are those kind of initial moments like? So it's like, I have like a weird analogy for it. I call it like a, it's like astronaut. It's weird. So the way that I look at it is like, you know, you are on a rocket ship and you have your boosters, right? Your boosters are the people from your hometown, typically like friends, family, et cetera. They, if you make a decision to go on this trip to the moon by yourself, they might say like, you're crazy, like you're whatever, you're this and that. But typically they're going to like try to boost you up where they can. So you take off, you get boosted by your friends, but then you start to hit this like atmosphere where it gets like very difficult to breathe. And then what happens with the rockets? The boosters fall off. So now you're kind of here in this lonely area by yourself and it's up to you to like go to the moon, travel to do what you're supposed to do. And once you get there, then the admirable thing to do, in my opinion, is to plant your flag, go back down and then take those people that were once there with you back up to where you've been because you've traversed that, you know, that that path before. So for me, um, that place was really just knowing that people were going to support me to a specific level, letting them fall off, but then still having that relationship enough and the humility and no ego enough to like go and be out there in Atlanta doing my own thing was very difficult time. I'll talk more about if you like, and then forcing the success and then going back to pick up the people that were once with you. All of the first uh, employees at the company were all of my best friends that, that were from Houston. So I was like, bro, get to Atlanta. I'm making money, bro. Come and work with me. Like we can grow together and stuff. And then they ended up coming down and moving here. Mm -hmm. So, you know, talk about those, uh, Talk about those difficult moments. And, I, and I'm curious because I think whenever you make a change um, and I felt this, I felt it in like a weird way because I moved from Manhattan back to New Jersey. And the reason why was really to focus on building this podcast. But then as you're on this journey, three months in, six months in, nine months in, yeah. start to remember little things here and there about your old life, mm-hmm. which you just miss. It made you like comfortable. It made you feel good. And you just miss that. Yeah. And I'm curious, was there moments where you're kind of, you're just like wavering almost, like it's just difficult? Yeah, for sure. I would always just like FaceTime the homies just to like get that like, okay, like my boys are still my boys or whatever, but I still got to like do my own thing. But when I moved to Atlanta, bro, it was super difficult because I, from my job, stacking up some some cash, I saved up $26,000 within like the eight to 12 month time where I was like saving a lot made a good call, invested 16,000 of it into Bitcoin in like 2017. Um, So that was, that was great. And then I had $10,000 and two pennies left after that. And I get to Atlanta um, because one of my college friends names Corey, and he had a business called Sport Black Colleges. And he started in 2012. And I had graduated at this time when I moved back to Atlanta. So He's like um, telling me the whole time I'm doing all of this like negative stuff in Houston. He doesn't know what I'm doing, but he's like, yo, bro, like, I think this sport black college thing like has some legs, bro, like come out to Atlanta. And I'm just like, no, bro, I'm getting a lot of money fast. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But then when that pivotal moment moment happened, I then moved. And then I got to Atlanta and I remember having $10,000, two pennies. And then we start to count up the inventory in the house and it was $20,000 in inventory. And he was like, 
yo, I really want you to like apply the skills that you learned from your job to this business. Send me $10,000 and then you'll be 50 50 owner in the business. We'll do a handshake and it'll be all good. So I didn't, he didn't know that, but that's all I had. So I just felt like a lot of the times that I quit on other things, it was because I didn't have enough skin in the game. So you don't, you're not invested enough. You don't have enough skin in the game. You're not all in enough. And that's why you quit. So I was like, I'm going to put everything I have into this and not say anything because if I have everything in it, I'm, I'm not going to be able to not make it work. I have no other choice. So I wired him $10,000, had two pennies left in my bank account, didn't know how I was going to eat. And that was the first couple of days that I moved to Atlanta. Mm -hmm. So I remember um, just thinking like, damn, well, one, I got to pay rent. I don't know how I'm about to do that. Number two, I need to eat. Don't know how I'm going to do that. And then that night, one of my homeboys um, text me and he was like, man, congrats, you know, on the big move to Atlanta, super proud of you. And then he cashed at me 250 bucks. And I was like, let's go. Like <laughs> I could eat now. Like, and yeah. I could try to like, you know, at least breathe to stack up a little bit of money. Yeah. So I actually didn't jump into the business with, uh, with my partner that first month that that was like after my first 30 days there. So I started a social media marketing agency and I was using a software that cost me 10 bucks a month to like follow, unfollow, like comment, et cetera, uh, automation. And I was trying charging people a hundred dollars a month to do it. So I had like really good margins. So in that first month I stacked up like four or $5,000 a month in recurring revenue. Mm -hmm. Just the, my thought was, you know, there's a big, like Alex talks about this a lot. Like the difference between the wealthy and super wealthy isn't what they do. It's what they don't do. So I was like, what are all the things that I can, I can do in this business? And what are the things that make me the most money in this business? And I looked at those three tasks and it was client outreach, client nurture. And, um, yeah, so those were like top two client outreach, client nurture and selling. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to reach out to clients all day. I'm going to nurture those clients and I'm going to sell them. And that's all I did for 30 days. And that's how I was able to stack up that revenue. Um, and then from there I was like, all right, I feel confident enough to like comfortable enough. And then I was like, let's make this, you know, this move with support by college. And then me and Corey started taking it seriously. And then that first month in, in business, we did $30,000 that month. And I could talk about that too. And then the next month, 65 K. And then from there we scaled it up to a million bucks a month within the next couple of years. Yeah. You know, the, the word that comes to mind is focus. Mm -hmm. And I use that very intentionally. Um, Cause that's how anything like great is really achieved is really focusing and I remember hearing this quote um, by Johnny Ives, who is like the senior like head designer at Apple. Mm -hmm. And he's talking about working with Steve Jobs. He said, Steve Jobs is the most focused individual I've been around. And he said, the way that Steve thought about focus, it wasn't about what they said yes to. It was everything they said no to. Mm -hmm. They said no to so many great ideas because they only wanted to go after one phenomenal idea. Yeah. And when I listen to your story, it's like, same thing it's that focus it's understanding what is really driving impact in your businesses and here's where i want to go another post from your instagram <laughs> you can tell i've been stalking your instagram <laughs> but you said i've been making multiple seven figures in e-commerce for the last three years and i got started with just a hundred dollars mm -hmm. here's how i did it and here's how you can too and the reason i even connect the two i think to a lot of people it's like bullshit like no way <laughs> can you make multiple seven figures starting with just a hundred dollars right my hunch is that the key is the focus uh, and so i'm curious i'm like when you did that and when you had that first month you made thirty thousand mm dollars -hmm. 
where was that focus being placed? Yeah, there was four things. Number one was paid advertising. Number two was influencer marketing. Number three was grassroots marketing. And number four was content creation, content curation. So those are like the only four things that we even thought about. So even for that, you know, $30,000 situation, after I had stacked up a little bit of cash from, you know, the Instagram uh, business, Shade Room at the time was doing $1,500 posts. So we were realizing that there was a big shift in influencer marketing. You've seen it happen with like Gymshark and Fashion Nova, et cetera. So we took that little nest egg, invested in a shout out from Fashion Nova, but just to get a little tactical to help, like really help, um, we had to make sure that the post was very contextual to the platform that we were on. So we curated a piece of content that would match what you know, the shade room typically posts. And then we crafted the caption to make it sound like the shade room was saying it. So they were like, Hey roommates, this is a black brand that we're in love with that we're supporting and blah, blah, blah. And then from that one post, it generated 30 K in sales just from, it was a, so it was a great investment. So those are the four things that we like focused all of our attention on in the, in the beginning. Yeah. But, you know what, you know, what's interesting. And I actually have a, I have a confession, which is this, and this is why I was actually super interested in this conversation. Um, about five years ago, five or six years ago, I'm still in university. My first business that I started was a clothing line. <laughs> I was like, I want to do clothing. I was like, you can just, and this was like when the drop shipping right. stuff was just getting going. I was like, oh, I don't even need to have the inventory. I can just start right. uh, a clothing line. Uh, spoiler alert, completely failed. <laughs> like didn't even launch this brand. And I think the reason why is I was just overthinking every step. Mm. And I think for a lot of people listening, it's like, they want to start the clothing line. Yeah. They want to work on a business that they're passionate about. That is like their vision, but they're just overthinking everything. And yeah. like the design needs to be perfect. And I'm curious, even just keeping with the, the hundred dollars, if I'm like, I just want to start a clothing line in the most efficient, lean way possible. Yeah. Like not overthinking anything. Yeah. Just the bare minimum to get started and start generating momentum. Before we even get into the marketing stuff, what would be some of those things that I just need in place? For sure. So let's just break it down. Let's just say, Colin, you got a hundred bucks. So first things first, you're going to need a domain. So 10 bucks, godaddy.com, www.whatever.com, right? Now you need a product. So we can go and get a design from somebody on Instagram. My trick is I like to put .std on the search and then it shows everybody that has a design studio on Instagram. Then you can pick and see all of the different designers and just pick something from there. And typically designs range anywhere from 30 bucks to like 90 bucks if you grab them from Instagram. 30 bucks, let's just call it 10 bucks for the domain, 30 bucks for the design, you're 40 bucks in, you still got 60 bucks to play with. You can get a sample for a t-shirt in your local area. If you go to like a direct to garment printer, or even if you order one from overseas, 50 bucks. So now you got a product, you got a website, you have a domain, and now you just need to market. But luckily we have things like TikTok and Instagram where we can market for free. So what I do to find the best pieces of content is I go to TikTok, go to the search, and then you type in whatever your niche is and you can actually filter it by last three months, most liked videos, and you can see everything that's already going viral inside of your niche. So it's like, it's okay to be a copycat as long as you're copying the right cat. So I want to go see what's working already. So I don't have to waste my time, energy, money, resources on trying to innovate and recreate the wheel and fall flat on my face. So then 
you make the content that's working, put your own twist on it because you're not imitating it. You're drawing inspiration from it. And then you put out content consistently. So now you just stood up a business with got 10 bucks left over. Mm. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, and you can do a pre-order, like you said, so you don't have to have any, um, you know, any inventory at all. You just get that one sample and shoot content or have friends or have multiple people come and shoot it and get the shirt back and whatnot. And then you can do a pre-order release the product and make sales and then take the money that you made from the sales, give it to your supplier and then you can send out the product. And now you saved everything else to his profit. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm curious about that process of getting to the product, whether it's a t-shirt, a hoodie, I don't know, track pants, whatever it is, mm -hmm. the product that you launch, the first product that you launch. And the reason why I say I'm curious, I remember when I was experiencing it, it was, I was really inspired by all these brands that I wore growing up. So I'm like Nike yeah. or like these, or like Air Jordan, or <laughs> whatever it is. Like these companies that have been around for decades, right. or even if you're talking like higher end fashion, like fashion houses that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. Yeah. And so my bar for like <laughs> what a product with my name should be Too or high. my brand is so high. Right. And, I, and I'm sure for a lot of people it's like, oh, just working on my design. Right. It's like you've been working on your design like six months, 12 months, right. 18 months. I'm curious, when when does it get to a stage where you're like, you're actually ready to launch it? Right. Like you're just overthinking it now. Just launch. Yeah. So for me, one of the things I feel like that propelled me very quickly is that I always had this inclination that like perfectionism is just procrastination in a suit. So you're just like dressing up your procrastination by calling yourself a perfectionist because we all know that none of us make decisions with 100%. Like I know that X is going to happen. So if you take that to be true, then it's like you're never going to be ready. There's never a right time. So you just need to do something in general. So for me, um, that was that's a good point because like a lot of people lean on the analysis paralysis, bro. And it kills them, bro. I remember it happened to me too when I first got started because I'm watching a bunch of videos. You see like people like uh, Gary Vee and like all of these people talking like Facebook ads, Facebook ads, like all this stuff, right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay, I need to do Facebook ads. So I go on YouTube and I find uh, a creator, but there's so many different creators talking about it. So then I'm looking at all of these different places, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and I'm getting... I'm getting overwhelmed by how much information there is and I'm not doing anything. Then this person's saying to do this type of campaign, this one's saying to do something else. Now I'm confused. And what does a confused mind do? Absolutely nothing. So then I remember telling myself, I'm like, okay, what is the way that I can like actually do something and make this work? So what I did was I said, I'm gonna find one person on YouTube and consume their free information. I'm gonna make sure that it's someone that has recent results, testimonials from themselves and other people as well as they do what I want to be doing. And I'm not going to listen to anybody else except for that one person. And I'm going to follow the exact blueprint and only tweak it to make sense for my brand. And that's what I'm going to do. I did that. And uh, I set up a Facebook ad campaign, 50 bucks a day. And then I just remember telling myself, like, if you don't press go on this campaign today, you're never going to do it. And I said, you know what? Screw it. Press go went to sleep and like scared, like maybe I'll wake up and whatever will happen. And when I woke up the next day, we made 200 bucks from the ads um, after that $50 ad spend. And I was like, okay, let me take 
$100 of that because the guy that gave me the free information was doing $100 coaching calls. So then I paid him 100 bucks, And then I said, hey, I'm doing exactly what you told me to do. Like, what do I need to change? And then he told me and I made a couple thousand bucks from that. And I started to keep investing in myself over and over again. So it's always funny because I always look back and a lot of people when they think about investing themselves, etc. They always ask like, you know, What's the cost of the course? What's the cost of the mentorship? What's the cost of this? And I always ask myself, what does it cost you not to do it? Because if I wouldn't have ever invested that $100 into myself, it would have cost me everything that I have right now. And I just, I don't know, bro, like that, that really sat well with me, especially when you talk about the analysis paralysis, even looping it back to the design. It's like, it's never going to be ready. It's never going to be perfect. You know, you just, the only way that you can get it to perfection is by letting more people see it and getting feedback. So you might as well get the product to market as fast as possible. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I love the way that you, that you went about doing it because you started with action. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's like the thing with content, um, and watching people who are like educators and the information is great, but it's to the viewer sometimes, it can give you a dopamine hit yeah. that you're actually achieving something just <laughs> from consuming content, no. but nothing's been achieved. And so like the way that you did it, it's like you started with action and then when it made sense, you kept investing into it right. to get the knowledge yeah. as you're doing the action. Yeah. Whereas most people, it's like all knowledge. Right. Like they could tell you from step one to step 10 right. how to start a clothing brand, but they have, they have nothing. There's no action to like right. anchor that. Yeah. There was, so this was a big one for me, bro. And this is what I realized early on. What I told myself was this. I said, okay, I started to feel like I was doing that. And then I'm like, you know what? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to apply a one-to-one -one ratio. So if I spend an hour studying i'm going to spend an hour executing on what i learned if i spend three hours studying i'll do the same so that's how i was able to avoid that and i like what you talked about too because it's like action momentum and because I, I saw this one time and i was watching this video and there was a guy that was like stuck on the side of the road in his car and then he's just like bro help help and then no one stops but then there was another guy he's like pushing his car trying to get to the gas station and then people hop out and they want to get behind it so it just kind of lends itself to what you're talking about it's like momentum begets momentum action follows action you know so i just i don't know i didn't know that at the point but that's what was happening you know what i mean yeah 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 no that's so good i think it's like um the principle there it's like people support a moving train it's yeah. much easier to support something that's already in motion yeah. it's already moving okay so a hundred dollars you have the domain you have the design you can get the sample made mm -hmm. and then i guess I guess you can use Shopify or like whatever yep. platform you want to make sure that like you can charge orders and yep. it can be sent to people. I guess the next part of that is the marketing mm -hmm. side of things. And so I'm curious because even with people that you work with, there must be some people that, so they have the domain, they have the design, but, and they've started doing some marketing, right. but it's just not working. Yeah. And so how do you know if it's, the marketing isn't working or your product just sucks and yeah. no one wants the product. Like, how do you even figure <laughs> out, how do you get the signal that you're actually onto something? Yeah. So, <laughs> so what I would do typically is there's two ways. There's a paid way to do it and then there's a free way to do it. So with the free way is I would do like a friends and family launch. So I would hit up cause a lot of people have a lot of contacts, but they don't got a lot of contracts with the people that they're working with. So I hit up all of friends and family with a specific script, basically something along the lines of like, 
hey, I'm starting a business and I want uh, like I'm seeking some help and here's like my product or whatever. And what I started to realize very early on is like if you can't get your friends and family to like even like it or you can't even give away the product for free, then there's no way you're going to be able to sell it. So the paid way that I like to do it is we do like a, a giveaway campaign on Facebook. So we'll take a video of the product and then we'll say, hey, we're doing a free giveaway of this product. Just give me your email and your phone number and then we'll put a couple dollars behind it. And if people don't want the product for free, I guarantee you can't sell it. So then we'll just put like, you know, now that we have a little more experience, like KPIs in place of like if you're getting leads for less than this much, then that's a good product. If you're getting leads for more than this much, then it's probably not a good product. You need to go back to the drawing board. Mm -hmm. So that's typically how we would do it. Mm -hmm. And then when you're I guess if you do have the bad product and you're going back to the drawing board. Going back to the drawing board to do what? Yeah, the because this is the issue. Most people just don't have a, a wow factor with the product that they have. They the the, the the issue with the newest entrepreneur or newer entrepreneurs is they think that their skill level is far beyond what it actually is, and it's really delusion. But it's okay because we all go through it. So most people would just say. You know, here's a white T-shirt, black T-shirt. I'm going to slap my logo on it. Guarantee I'm going to get rich. But no one has an affinity to your logo or your brand name. They don't know you at all. So why would someone want to invest in the name? Now you have these fashion houses have been in the game hundreds of years. They built brand. You have no brand just starting out. So I always actually tell newer people to start out with more design heavy, like more design based um, you know, merchandise in general, where you're making designs that would actually connect with the audience that you're trying to put it in front of. And then you have your logo centered in the design somewhere. And as you do more drops, you can peel off more of the design aspects. And then the logo is still there, but they still feel what they feel about the design and the, you know, the characteristics of the brand in general. So same with Nike. It's like, you know, now you just look at Nike and you think, oh, just do it. I'm an athlete, no matter what my body looks like, et cetera. But it took <laughs> decades to be able yeah. to create that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. You know. That's actually a really powerful point and it's in any business. And a lot of the time we take it for granted, right? Because you might see uh, something that Dior make or something that LV make. If you literally took that same design, but it was your brand, no one would buy it no. because they, they have a certain reputation. They get away with doing certain things. And it's funny, you even mentioned the, the Nike example. I read uh, Shoe Dog, yeah. which is uh, by Phil Knight, who's mm -hmm. the founder of Nike. And he was talking about when they came up with the swoosh, they weren't even, they didn't like the design. Like they weren't even going to use that as the logo. Mm -hmm. Now it's iconic and they can sell shit just with the swoosh on it, nothing else. Right. But like in the beginning, it wasn't that. Yeah, It's building brand exactly. over a number of years. Yeah, uh, And you can't take that for granted. Okay. And also like, if you are going to do that, you can, because I don't want people to think like, oh, I got to have like super design heavy, like whatever. But the also too, you have to have like utility, functionality, just design in general. So if I'm starting like, let's just say a scrubs company, I'm not going to be able to like be super design focused, but I can have some certain utility or functionality of this product that is different from what's going on in the marketplace. So I can lean more heavy into this is different because it serves this audience in this way that doesn't exist. And it's super functional and super like has utility rather than just like, Oh, I'm slapping like a crazy design on something. Cause it might not lend itself to all of the different aspects of business. Yeah. 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 Okay. Here's where I want to go next. So you've made this decision to pick up your life, move to Atlanta, yeah. you put $10,000 of your own money into this business. 
first month you said thirty thousand mm-hmm. dollars so it's just worked and it's worked pretty much immediately mm-hmm. i'm curious what is the emotion at that mm-hmm. time what are you feeling I couldn't believe it, bro. I was just like, what? I'm hearing the orders come in, bro. And I'm just like, it's no way. Like, I mean, because you got to think, too. I thought when when my boy called me, my thoughts were, man, if we try very hard, maybe we can get to like 100K a month or somewhere around there. So to see us be able to like get to a third of that our first month in business, I was like, bro, this is absolutely crazy. It's like, I almost didn't believe it, bro. But then also... Uh, a lot of work came, you know, came after that because then, you know, a lot of people want to have these hundred thousand dollar months and million dollar months and et cetera, but they don't realize the work that's associated with it before they get into it. So it was great for a while. And then it was bad because then we had to like do a lot of work. And I remember, bro, I was so naive. We probably went that first month or two. I didn't even like think that customer service was a thing. Like, I personally, if I ever bought anything online, I never once have like emailed and said, oh, like the sizing didn't fit or oh, like my order didn't come or whatever. So I remember opening up our email one day. It was 1500 emails. We had never opened it up before. And I was like, oh, like we got to do customer service, bro. So, you know, it's just some things that you don't know, like or you don't think of when you when you're doing it. So it was nice for the moment. But then we realized that we needed to learn a lot more. Yeah. It's interesting, actually. I remember um, I read Bob Iger's book. So Bob Iger, like CEO, executive Disney. at Disney. Yeah. And there's this section in the book where he gets uh, promoted to this position that he always wanted. And it's such a great story. And you kind of see it in everyone's story, which is we spend so much time in pursuit, yeah. right? Like we're chasing after this thing. And then finally, after months or years of pursuing this thing, you finally get the thing that you want. Right. And he said, I remember at the end of the chapter, he said, uh, little did I know this was when all of the hard work actually began. Yeah. The second you get what you thought you wanted is actually where the hard work begins. And it sounds like that's what it was from your perspective. Talk to me about some of that hard work. Like what were some of those difficult moments? Oh, my goodness. You know, the most difficult lesson I probably had to learn was just my identity is separate from the business, bro. It was such a hard lesson. And then also that you have to get rid of your ego as well. So, you know, thinking about that, you have a goal of hundred K a month, million a month, whatever. Then we hit the goal, hundred K a month. We hit the goal a million a month. And I remember looking at my phone and I refreshed the banking app. It's like 1.1 liquid in the bank for the business. And I'm like, let's go. But then Six to eight months later, there was $12,000 in the bank account. So I'm looking at it like, bro, I don't even have the skill sets or the character traits to like manage money properly, bro. And I just remember like learning that lesson of losing it, having it all, then losing it all, and then realizing that money truly did not matter. And I was like, who are you without a business? Who are you without status? Who are you without success? And who are you going to choose to be moving forward? Because you might have to go to social media tomorrow and tell everybody that you failed at this thing that was once so popular. And I just remember crying in the shower, bro, and just being like, dog, what am I going to do? And then I just went out the next day, got a terrible loan from like a rapid finance, like cash advance type place. But then I had to use that money to like 
really learn how to steward it properly. And then that lesson taught me, number one, you can't have your identity tied into the business because the business failed does not make you a bad person. It means that you have a skill set that is lacking, but that's okay because you can fix that if you choose to. And I chose to fix those skill sets. And then, you know, we were able to bounce back after that. So that lesson was very valuable for me. And then also the lesson I learned from like when we went from 30 employees to three was so hard, just like a lesson about like difficult conversations because you put off all of these hard conversations for so long and we had 30 employees. We made that, you know, had a million bucks liquid, had $12,000 in the bank account. Payroll was 12,600. <laughs> I took the, my money in my own bank account, 600 bucks and I paid payroll. We had $0. So then I take everybody to the back of the warehouse and I'm like, bro, we don't have any money to pay you. So if you if you don't believe in the company and our vision, then you might as well just leave because we can't even pay you. So I wouldn't even be mad at you if you left anyways. And we went from 30 employees to three within like the next couple of days. And that just taught me too is like, you know, you can't even be mad at those people because it's like we didn't have the money to pay you. So why would you stick around? And then it was like, bro, you don't need more people to make a business successful. You need to learn how to get more from the small like you know the small amount of people that you have and then we had like fifteen thousand orders to ship out with three people and then we just like really streamlined the process and was able to kind of bounce back after that yeah it was tough though bro yeah no i feel it i want to i want to talk about what you said about identity because mm -hmm. it's something that even i'm i'm like starting to experience it now and just to kind of give i guess more context to it this is this is how it was or how it's felt to me which is in starting the business or even putting the money up or whatever the commitment is that you make in the beginning, you're kind of going out on a limb, right? Yeah. Like it feels like you're almost jumping off a ledge. Right. Like you're putting everything, not just your money and your time, but like your belief, your confidence, <laughs> your identity into this thing. And then as you're building, it starts to gain traction. And now you're starting to get validation uh -huh. of this decision yeah. that you made, right? And now people know you a certain way Oh, he's the guy that has like the successful clothing business. Yeah. And so everything in your life starts to become associated with this business. Yeah. So it's natural that your personal identity, you're like, oh, I'm this guy. Like I'm the, <laughs> this is me. I'm him. Yeah. <laughs> and so the downside of that is that businesses are volatile, exactly. just the nature of it. And so when the business goes down, now all of a sudden. Confidence not yeah, there. It's down. And then when the business is up, it's, oh yeah, I'm the man again. And it's like going through these loops with your confidence. I'm curious, what was that process of being able to disassociate Justin Phillips, the person from that LLC, from that business? Yeah, it was getting it all, then losing it all. And then asking myself, who are you without success? And I was like, dog and then i thought about it too because if you think about it like this jeff bezos you know warren buffett elon musk whatever you strip them of everything they have right now and place them in the sahara desert they'll become a billionaire again it's not because of their identity it's because of the skill set the character traits the belief that they have they can go and do this again so the that was the that was the process of stripping the identity because I had to and I don't know if you can do it 
without either learning from somebody's mistake like we're talking about now or just truly going through it yourself and then after that i had to do a ton of self-work bro so like reading books like um breaking the habit of being yourself by joe dispenza so good teaching myself you know meditation and really just sitting with myself and looking at all the different character traits that I had and asking myself, which one, which of these character traits do I not desire to have anymore? And which ones do, which, which ones need to be removed so I can be the type of person that does not have their identity tied into a business. So I would just, you know, it's crazy. I would meditate, think about the character traits that I had. And then I would like daily, like change them over time because I realized there was two things I was dealing with. It was really bad. It was like ego and that's the one that'll kill you because ego is the enemy. One of my favorite books, Ryan holiday. I read it like 20 times, bro. So you don't realize that when you're in business, you have to become a different person at every step of the way. Zero to hundred K hundred K to a million, million to 10, 10 to a hundred, uh, 10 to a hundred million, et cetera. So in the beginning it's how it manifests itself is like, I'm the best at shipping products and doing customer service. Then at a hundred K it's like, well, no, I'm the best at, you know, management, et cetera. And then at a million, you're like, I'm the best at marketing, et cetera. But then even at like 10 million or 100 million, you see places like, you know, Bob Iger with Disney, where he had a bigger vision for the company than the original founder did. So do you have too much ego to where you have to be the person to run the company at all times? Or can you see someone else with a bigger vision come to the company and run it better than you can? And can you accept that? So getting rid of ego was a was a very big one for me bro yeah yeah so you, you know it's interesting and, and i and i think it's really good i remember even when we spoke a few weeks ago in the lead up to this this recording today mm. it was something that you mentioned ego 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 and i can tell it's just like an important factor like it really resonates for you i'm curious is there an experience i, th I feel like when some when something really resonates for someone it's because they had an experience yeah. that like anchored that oh, for yeah. them and just showed how important yeah. that thing was. They had to learn it the hard way. Yeah. I'm curious, what was what was the learning it the hard way for Man, you? it came and flashed back right when you said that, bro. It's crazy. Um, so like I was saying, in college I had like no regard for whatever. I was drinking a lot Thursday through Sunday and throwing parties, making money young, doing whatever I wanted to, treating people any kind of way. And then so I'm throwing a party this night, Howard University versus Hampton, the HUHU Cabaret, big party every year. And we threw it at the Howard Theater and I was at my boy's house and we were pre-gaming. So I didn't drive, so my boy had a car, purple Lexus, nice. <laughs> <laughs> and my boy, um, he's upstairs getting ready. He always takes a while. So then my other guy's name's uh, Jamal. And I'm just like, yo, bro, like, let's take Matt's car and like, and ask him, but let's take Matt's car and let's go drive by the Howard Theater because it's like two minutes away from us. And let's go see how many people are online because then I'm gonna be able to count like 100, 200, 300. Like, all right, we went crazy. Yeah. So we go and drive. We turn left on Georgia Ave and he just starts mashing the gas. And I'm like, OK, cool. We turned up, you know, we're doing our thing. Yeah. So then. I look at him because we were doing shots pregame and before the, you know, the driving. And I look at him and I'm just remember looking at him and I just like I could see the glaze in his eyes like he's not there. You know, he's just drunk, just driving. So I turn at him and I say, hey, bro, slow down. I turn back around and he's going 70 miles an hour as a car right in front of a smash right into the back of it. I don't have a seatbelt on. So but I have like my hair is tied down now, but I had a huge fro back in the day. So 
my head hits the windshield, my mouth hits the dashboard, and all of my teeth are fried. Like I can, I went like this, like, and it's just all crooked. Like I could feel it. And then my front tooth fell out. So it was, it was like loose. Like when you're a kid, I pulled it out and I just threw it because I was so mad. And I'm like, bro, my life is going to be forever changed. Like I'm going to look completely different after this. And he didn't even know what was going on. He didn't like barely remember the next day. And I went to the hospital. They were like figuring my situation out, all of that stuff. And then for the next like year, year and a half, I had a no front tooth. So I went from popular throwing parties, doing this, all of treating people any kind of way to where I didn't even feel confident being like who I was like myself. Cause I just felt like I looked so different and I had to slowly rebuild my confidence. And then also I just thought about like, how I talk to people because I was at this, I was in New York actually. And I was just hanging out with some friends drinking. I ended up getting so drunk. I accidentally fell asleep like outside of the hotel room um, on the outside because I like was drunk, couldn't call them phone died, whatever I wake up. I go inside of the hotel to talk to the person at the desk. He's like, no homeless people, no homeless people. And I'm like, dog, I'm like, bro, I'm not homeless, bro. You know what I'm saying? Whatever. And not that there's anything wrong with whatever, but just that moment, that whole, you know, range of events was was like, yo, bro, you can't talk to people any kind of way. You can't treat people any kind of way because at any given moment it can switch and it can be you. So that was the moment that was like, I got to work on the ego. And I went down that, you know, that path of fixing that by myself. Yeah. You know what I, I wanted to key in on? You're involved in the, like this high speed crash mm -hmm. and... I think it's interesting that the first emotion after the crash, after the impact, yeah. is anger. Yeah. And I think about people, like I've never been involved in a car crash, but I would assume the people that have, it would be almost like rare, right? <laughs> that the first emotion is anger. Yeah. I'm curious, why, why do you think that was? Why was yeah. it like, I'm just annoyed that this, that this happened? Yeah, I think it was because... Like I said, I just felt like my life was going to be completely different. I wasn't going to look the same. I was going to be a totally different person. And I probably was putting so much stock in like what I look like and, you know, how I felt about myself because of the ego. So once that crashed, once the car crashed, my ego crashed. Mm -hmm. So now that something that I held so much stock in for myself had dropped, I knew that things were going to be different. So then I'm just like so mad also because there was probably an element of control that was there too. Whereas like, you know, I had no control over this, but it affected my life. So now what can I do about it? And I couldn't do anything. So now you naturally, well, for me personally, I just naturally got enraged because I can't control this and my life's going to be completely different and yeah. I don't know what's coming next. Yeah. You know, what's interesting as well, I think is like as humans, we all tell ourselves like a narrative and we have like an internal narrative like, this is how my life goes. And I almost wonder, like, also just hearing your story, how much of it was something out of my control has negatively or detrimentally impacted my life again. <laughs> and it's like just building on this narrative and it's it's painful. Yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's actually deeply painful when that happens. Mm -hmm. um, okay, here's where, here's where I want to go next. So the company has 30 employees, a million dollars in the bank, goes to three employees, no money in the bank. Yeah. Obviously, you've even taken it to higher levels than even what that million was. Mm -hmm. How did you go from doing, I don't know what you were doing at that point, 
30K a month or 100K a month? How did you scale that to an even higher level? Yeah. What was involved with that? So it's funny because it was a lot of the things that we were doing originally, paid ads, influencer marketing, grassroots, et cetera, and content creation. So we just did more of what was working and we did it at a higher level. So a lot of people will always think, you know, especially more seasoned entrepreneurs actually where they go wrong is they think that to do better i need to spend more and the real the funny thing is so for instance you know if i'm consulting someone and they're doing a couple hundred k a month or whatever they're gonna be like well i need to spend like more money in paid ads and i'm like well Hold on, because if we just take your conversion rate from 1% to 2%, you can double your business without spending any money at all. So a lot of it was like small optimizations to increase our revenue without changing anything and getting it really solid and then starting to pour more gas on something that was already working. So at that point, after optimizing, it was paid ads, Facebook, Instagram, uh, Google, it was very heavily focused on influencer marketing. So we would reach out to 14 influencers an hour and we would say, hey, are you offering any paid promotional opportunities? Most people are reaching out trying to get a handout. We reached out, you know, <laughs> at least looking as if we were willing to spend money and then they would see our stuff and then say, oh, well, like, yeah, just send us something. And I would send them something and then we would use a, uh, I call it like the heartstrings tactic and then we'd be like, hey, we just sent you something, but like, bro, we're a small family owned business. So like, all of the money that we make, we invested back into the business. So like it would mean the world to us if you just posted us and tagged us, it would change everything. And then massive follow up too. Hey, here's your tracking number. Hey, saw your tracking number or your package just landed. Hey, you know, et cetera. So it was, it was doing more of what worked. It was optimizing first and then not trying to change the complete business model, just doing more of what we were already doing. Yeah. You know what? Um, here's something that I want to say. I feel like sometimes when people listen to stories like this, they take it too literally. Mm. And I know this because I've done it. And, and here's what I mean by that. So when I was working in marketing, one of the things that I saw, and you even spoke about in the beginning, influencer marketing or like buying posts on like the shade room right. or whatever worked for you. The way that it goes is that that works, but it worked in that time, that time. period. And then because that attention is kind of underpriced, right? Because right. no one else is really doing it. That's why you got a huge amount of success. But now we're in 2024. Different. Now the shade room probably charges way more than $1,500. Oh, sure. So the ROI is different. And so I actually think what's more helpful for people is that process mm -hmm. of finding the innovative kind of marketing um strategies that work yeah. currently right. that people aren't doing and i'm curious what is it that you're seeing from your vantage point where you're mm. like okay this is the equivalent of buying sh the shade room post yeah. i don't know a few years ago when you were doing it mm -hmm. this is the equivalent of that in 2024 yeah that's actually really good now that i'm thinking about it because a lot of times entrepreneurs that have some success they like sh teach from their own context mm -hmm. and then realize they don't realize that people are going to watch this and then be like i need to do that and take it's it like, literally literally so no you're right the big thing that we did there was find where the underpriced attention was you're 100 right so now the underpriced attention number one tiktok shop um it's just tiktok in general so tiktok ads and tiktok shop right now um i think if i was brand new starting out right now like what I would do first is just get a good piece of creative every like 
the underpriced attention is that in having good creative and being on TikTok shop and being using TikTok ads. So I would go to places like um, Billow.app, B-Roll.io, viral e-com ads, bands off ads. Because if you're not a content creator, you might feel like, oh, well, if I can't create good content, then what am I supposed to do? All of those different places are user-generated content um, platforms where you can send them your product, tell them what you want them to do, and they will make the content for you for a very cheap fee, under 50, 60 bucks. So get a couple good pieces of creative made with your product, and then TikTok ads. That's that's where the the spread is right now, mm. for sure. You know can can you talk quickly about TikTok Shop? I I don't use TikTok that much, but I remember a few weeks ago hearing stories or seeing videos on YouTube, stories of moms in the Midwest <laughs> making twenty, thirty, forty thousand dollars a month right. just selling stuff on TikTok Shop. Can yeah. you kind of give the context of what's even happening there? Yeah, the context there is that. TikTok is a very like authentic platform. So if someone is giving their authentic views on something and you can just tell like they're being honest and being real about it, then you're more likely to buy from that type of person. Also, TikTok is incentivizing people to use TikTok shop as well as just use TikTok in general. So you might be a mom from Middleton, Jersey, right? <laughs> <laughs> and you... um you know, you start a TikTok account, you post a couple of videos and then your third one gets like 500K views because TikTok wants you to have the dopamine hit to then continue posting on the platform because you're getting more views from anywhere else that you're going. And also they're emerging platforms, so they're incentivizing more people to stay by having cheap advertising, et cetera. So the TikTok shop phenomenon that's kind of going on right now is what most people are doing is they're taking their product, they're sending it out to a bunch of micro influencers and having them create content like user generated content and then they're having all of them post linking back to their TikTok shop and then giving them a percentage on what they make. So one person might have a product but have a hundred people being real authentic micro influencers because the mom in Jersey She's like, you know, saying, hey, I like this about this product, but I don't really like this about that one. And you feel like, oh, she's not lying to me. She's just a mom on TikTok. Right. And then you're able to get all of the traffic from these people. And then they're all selling your product and getting a small percentage. And you're able you're able to crush it. It makes sense because it, it's authentic. Mm -hmm. And then I know also um, in business and especially like digital businesses, friction is a huge thing. Mm -hmm. So rather than because typically or even on Instagram, right, if you click on an ad, it's like going to take you to another page. It's going to take you out of the Instagram app somewhere else where you have to do the purchase. But then if it's all on one platform, it's like seamless yeah. for the user. It makes, it makes complete sense. For sure. Okay. Here's where, here's where I want to end. And here's where, here's where I want to go with it. So you're in college or you're in university. You get in this crash. Front teeth or teeth out. Yeah. And it's this, mo it's almost the way that it sounds, it's like this ultimate humbling moment. Yeah. Now you've kind of gone on this journey where everything is different, <laughs> right? Like you're in, a new in, you're, new in, you're in a new environment. There's no like illegality to anything. Right. I'm curious, if the Justin Phillips that's sitting in front of me today had to go back to that hospital mm -hmm. or wherever they took you after that crash. And maybe that frustrated, angry person that was there and they just had to speak with them, just pull them to the side for a second. Like, let me, let me just talk to you real quick. Mm -hmm. 
And let me just tell you just, just something, just one thing that's going to impact your life. Mm. I'm curious, what would you tell? What would you tell that version of yourself? Now that I'm thinking about it, bro, I would tell myself to not only take your life more serious, but also take aspects of your life more serious, like meditation. We didn't get to dive into it super deep, but the only way I was able to change the person that I was by was by meditating on a daily basis, identifying the traits that I did not like about myself, and then making a conscious effort on the daily basis for multiple years to make a shift in my in who I was as a person. So I would just pull them to the side and be like, bro, they're like neuroplasticity. Like you can change who you are. You don't have to be, you know, this, this person. And, um, I would just hope that, you know, my ego was down enough after the accident to actually take heed to the information. Um, so yeah, you know, I would probably just say something along those lines. And also now that I'm thinking about it too, I would say, also, like, make sure you connect with your, your family a lot more because what I started to realize, too, was as I'm doing business now, currently, I was having a conversation with my mom and I was realizing she was like, hey, you know, can we talk on like Saturday? You know, it's like this time work for you. And then I'm just like, what are you talking about? Like, you're my mom. So during that younger, younger days, I'm so much doing my being myself or whatever. And even nowadays, just doing business or whatever where I'm not getting to connect with like the people that I love and care about the most lately. And it really affected me like a few weeks ago. And I was just like, man, like, am I that busy to not build a relationship with my family and myself? Or are those the only things that matter? Cause I think that what I, what even myself in that state would have told the older me is almost opposite. So the older me would have said, bro, you know, focus on these character traits and change them. And the younger me would have said, connect with your people more. Cause life isn't, you know, promised. Mm. So hopefully that helps somebody. Yeah. 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 It's just, it's just funny how, how life turns out and you achieve all of these things and it, and you see the story so much, you achieve all of these things only to realize like the thing that truly matters, you had it in the beginning. <laughs> Literally. Like you had that relationship with your mom. It's you had sick. that time. It's sick, bro. Last thing I promise is like, cause I was watching this video and it was like, bro, People focus so much on money, but money's not even in your top five. I'm like, what, what is he talking about? He's like, bro, if I gave you a million dollars, would you stop talking to your mom forever? No. If I gave you a million dollars, would you be willing to be sick for the rest of your life? No. If I gave you a million dollars, would you be willing to not have love for the rest of your life? No. So if you wouldn't trade a million dollars for love, for family, for sickness, your health is more important than money. Your relationships are more important than money your life is like all of these things are more important than money but we always are just so focused on career and money based but it's not even that important to you when you really think about it and i was like damn bro it's crazy yeah 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 i love it man thank you so much for coming on there it is